0: Like, Scotland is not a bosh place. Like, people are very real. And every city in Scotland
1: has an edge. Hello, fellow travelers. Welcome to the Andy Steves Travel Podcast. This is the final episode of our very first season, and it's been quite an adventure. From the sandy shores of the Greek islands to pop culture in Paris, the west coast of Ireland, to biting octopus heads in Croatia. I hope you've enjoyed these stories with me. If this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, enjoy this episode and double back to other exciting interviews. If you've stayed with us the entire season, I need you to do two things. First, pop into whatever app you download your podcast on and give us a five-star review. Number two is follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash andystevestravel to stay up to date on the drop of our next season. We'll be back for more in August. Some of my personal favorite moments this past season have been hanging out with Schmeich, the hostile guru of Budapest, whose face is literally tattooed on one of his past guests as a permanent souvenir of their adventures together. Somebody,
0: I have My face is on somebody's leg. You know what I mean? We have people who get tattoos just because they lost a bet. You say that like it's shocking, but there's hundreds of people like that.
1: Hearing unreal bush stories from Steve Bermucci, who accidentally stumbled upon pirate graves in his travels. And there's real gravestones with real skulls and crossbones on them, like real pirates. And instead of, you know, here lies old John, there was one that said, it's a short life, but a merry one for me. So like, and it had a skull and crossbones, so people basically saying like, I'm just gonna drink a lot and die young, but that's badass and reminiscing on the unforgettable culture in cities such as Rome and Barcelona.
0: It's just this vibe, right? So even when you're walking around, it just feels happy. Kind of every day is a holiday around there.
1: Thank you for sending in your ideas for topics and guests. We've gotten requests for new destinations to cover, budget tips such as staying in hostels, and special guests to feature like my very own pops, Rick Steves. Send us your ideas for guests and discussion subjects or themes at andysteves.com slash podcast. Now it's time for the show. We're headed way up north to stunning Scotland. Back in the day, the Romans even considered it too cold, too barbaric, and too remote to govern. Today, Scotland is renowned for its rugged beauty, Celtic roots, haunting medieval history, and rebellious nature, luring millions of visitors over the years. Its capital, Edinburgh, is a striking site with both its architectural elegance and dramatic landscape of rolling hills and cliffs, carved out by glaciers millions of years ago. It's a city of contrast, geologically, socioeconomically, architecturally, culturally, and politically. To guide us through the Scottish Highlands, I have not one but two local guides, Colin and Sabella. We cover highlights such as Harry Potter inspirations, Scotch whiskey, of course, the chilling legend of the famous and notorious body snatchers, and Edinburgh's key highlights for your next visit. I hope you enjoy.
0: Sharing tips, tricks, and tales from around the globe, this is Travel for the Next Generation. You're listening to the Andy Steves Travel Podcast, Episode 22.
1: When visiting Scotland, you gotta drop in to Edinburgh. There's a number of experiences you just can't miss, and I check in with two local guides, Colin Mayers and Sibella Eores, for insider tips on how to get the best of the city.
2: Well, one of my favorite places in Edinburgh is the National Museum of Scotland. So it's a free visit, and free is the favorite price in Scotland. You could spend the whole day there, um, but the most interesting section, really, for for visitors and for Scottophiles, um, it's a section all about Scotland. Uh, you'll start down in the basement and it starts with the, the creation of the land, the geology of Scotland and then about the first peoples. You go up through the different re- levels and basically taking a trip through Scottish history until you arrive at the very top and you're on the modern day because you're out on the roof terrace and you get a fantastic view over the city of Edinburgh from there.
1: Oh, that's really cool. I Obviously, I knew it was chronological, but that last bit about, you know, going through the top floors are all about kind of modern industry and recent, yeah. you know, uh, recent events. But um, that continuity up to the top floor where you can actually look around today's Edinburgh, that, that's a really cool point. I like that.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, if it's a, if it's a good clear
2: day, you'll see all around. You'll see the castle. Also, in fact, up in the top terrace, they've got um, plants of Scotland as well. So it's actually the living Scotland of today.
0: I think if anyone comes in August, they need to know that they're going to be living in an ACDC rock concert. You you know, take you half an hour to cross the street. Uh, You will be paying four times as much for your accommodation. Now, in exchange, it is a lot of fun. There's so much going on in the city. So basically, after the Second World War, Europe was looking at ways of celebrating arts. So that's when they came up with the Eurovision Song Contest, and that's when the International Arts Festival of Edinburgh came around. So it was basically international shows brought to Edinburgh um, just to showcase them. And it was great, but the year that that happened, the first year, apparently lots of people, lots of acts showed up uninvited. So there was an article published about how many of the shows around the fringes of the original festival were awesome. And that's how the Fringe Festival started. And this is today the biggest part of the festival, the Fringe Festival. What was the side festival is now taking over, and it's basically a lot of like beginners like showcasing their talents and looking for someone to review them and and just become a thing. (laughs)
1: Because there's so I've heard of the Fringe Festival, and of course I've heard of the tattoo. Are those related, or they they just happen at the same time? People come in and see both.
0: It's very confusing to everybody. Basically, it's all part of the arts festival. Um, But now the arts festival is a combination of 30 different festivals. Oh, my goodness. So one of them for two. One of them is a fringe. The biggest one is a fringe. But then there's a free fringe, free festival, free festival. Then there's the science festival, the kids festival, the book festival, the film festival. They're all part of the arts festival of (laughs) Edinburgh. Oh, my
1: gosh. And that all happens in the month of August.
0: It used to. They wisely now kind of took a few because no one was going to the film festival because there was so much going on. So right. they moved it to July, and they moved the science festival to May, I think. Sure. But it used to all happen together, and I I can't even imagine. But most of it still goes on in August.
1: Oh my goodness! And the tattoo is a big deal as well. It's not an inking session. It's not like uh, putting you know body art on. It's uh, it's something else, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's, um, it's the biggest military parade show in the world. Um, it takes place every day of the month except for Sundays. And it's basically a military show where they bring military bands from all the ex-British colonies, uh-huh. and they perform in the Castle Esplanade. And I personally didn't think it's something I would like, and I loved it. It's so good. So good. It's very impressive. It's a great production.
1: Is that something that you need tickets for? You need to buy tickets ahead of time.
0: You need to buy tickets, like... Three months in advance because it sells out every single night, which is crazy because they fit 7,000 people in that stage.
1: The best way to experience Edinburgh is to start at the top of the Royal Mile, making your way up to the beautiful castle perched on a cliff overlooking the entire city.
0: The castle is best thing ever like you should do the castle definitely then we have lots of museums like the camera obscura which is a museum of optical illusions we have like six floors where you can take all these crazy pictures is
1: that is that worth it or is that something that's just like those mirror tricks would have been cool you know 60 years ago but now Mm -hmm. we're on to virtual reality and and who knows what is that something that's Uh, worthwhile for for us
0: i've been here for three years and i only went recently because someone let me go in for free Mm -hmm. and i had a blast. Like. It's not just the mirrors. Like there's a lot of it's a lot of entertainment. There's so many cool effects, and there's six floors of them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I had a great time. I didn't pay, but I would pay. You would
1: pay, okay. And I also remember there's the um the tartan mill up top, right next to the camera obscura, right.
0: Yeah, exactly, though. That is super thirsty and you shouldn't buy it there. Yeah. Um, at the bottom, they have, like, the museum part, which would be the more interesting one. But it is a bit boring, yeah. to be honest. I don't, I don't like that place. Uh,
1: apparently... The Tartan Mill—it's at the top of the Royal Mall. It used to be, as I understand it, like a water cistern, like a like it's where they kept all the water back in the day, and and it, that makes sense because it's at the highest at one of the highest points in town. Um, but now it's just this big barn or warehouse of I think a bunch of kind of individual shops taken over just selling the most touristy knickknacks. I like it for the to the extent of just going in and getting ideas, but you would say you can find cheaper, maybe more authentic things elsewhere. As far as like uh, souvenirs go,
0: um, yeah. Well, yeah. The, prop, the the Royal Mile has like if you divide it into halves, the upper half pretty much belongs to the same dude. He owns a Ferrari and, and everything is the same stuff. So all of it, it, don't, it doesn't matter really what shop you're walking into. Well, I should say it, probably. <laughs> so anyways, I always recommend people to go to the lower part of the Royal Mile. Yeah. Also, there's another problem in Scotland and that is that if it's authentic, it's just going to be expensive because like Scottish wool is in high demand and it's just really good stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. So you're paying. Keeps you warm. You
0: will,
1: you're paying yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Edinburgh is such uh, an incredible place to, to tell stories about. I mean, no matter how you want to look at it from an architectural perspective, from an urban planning perspective, from ghost tales to fantasy. Is, is there one or two stories that, that are most interesting to share?
0: So there's this phenomenal story about how the kilt was invented by a writer, Walter Scott, who forced the king, George IV, to wear it. And he was 200 kilos and he was wearing a miniskirt with yeah. pink pantaloons yeah. to this guy with his ugly legs. And that is literally the beginning of the kilt in Scotland as a Scottish thing and not as like a Highland thing. Okay. And just picturing this 200 kilo George Fourth showing up <laughs> in front of the street with his skirt, you know. And the lowlanders that have never seen a skirt before, like dying. Yeah, so that's right. That's Great story.
1: Oh, that's great. Um, and one thing about uh, kilts is that they're pleated, right? So as you grow, you can, like, let a few <laughs> pleats out, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: You have one skirt for the
1: entire... Yeah, you make them last because they're not cheap, right? I mean, if, if you were to go in off of High Street or the Royal Mile or whatever um, and pop into a shop, what could you expect to spend?
0: For the real deal... I don't think it drops like it's like 400 pounds for like the proper I mean I bet, I bet you can get something between 200 and 400 that is okayish or like a second-hand one but 400 500 would be a pretty standard price for a real kilt.
1: and that's just the ream cloth that you put around that's not your that's not all the pieces of flair that come on it right that's not your sporn or your skin do or your
0: you still have to buy the jacket the vest the yeah. sporn everything oh my gosh uh, yeah not all spots have, like, depends on the region you're from you and have one. But yeah, it's an expensive,
1: expensive mm. thing to have. They sell nice fake ones for like 30 pounds. Yeah,
2: that, that'll be good enough, right? Yeah. <laughs> there's another place called Victoria Street, which is just off the grass market. Uh, that was one of the places where people were hung in Edinburgh, back in the old days. Um, there's one bar there called The Last Drop. So it's kind of a double entendre. It could be Last Drop, your last drop of liquor before you go to see The Hangman or it's your last drop as you drop and swing uh, from the rope. Um, There's another one there called uh, Maggie Dixon's, and Maggie Dixon's a famous case of uh, a woman who was hung for apparently uh, murdering her own child, and as they took her body away, they heard a little knocking on the coffin, and it turns out she wasn't actually dead. So um, they actually realised after that that she'd served her sentence because the sentence at the time was just to be hung, and it was after that that they added to be hung, until dead. So she'd already been hung, she'd served her sentence, she was allowed to go free. So Maggie Dixon's pub on that site uh, commemorates Maggie Dixon.
1: Oh my gosh. You, you would hardly know that this square really provided uh, a lot of the fuel for what was Edinburgh's growing study of anatomy yes. industry as well, right?
2: Yes, that's right, yes.
1: Um, you're probably referring
2: to the famous grave robbers. So the famous grave robbers, Burke and Hare, uh, sought most of their, a lot of their victims just in the grass market, I believe it's called the White Heart Pub.
1: Jeez. So these guys would come kind of stock these freshly hung bodies till they were buried and then they would dig them back up and then sell them to the, to the medical schools.
2: Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So along those lines, they would, um, they they started again with grave robbing. There were a lot of other people doing grave robbing at the time and round about Greyfriars Church. Again, if you go in there where a lot of the Harry Potter inspiration is, you'll see there's basically cages over some of the graves. So that's to stop the the bodies being dug up just after they've been buried. But uh, yeah, Birkin here just got into basically uh, murdering people. They'd take them home from the pub and uh, get them even more drunk, and then just knock them off. And then yep, yeah, so, so the bodies to the university.
1: So yeah, Edinburgh has this this kind of dark vibes to its medieval history that I, for me yeah. I find just fascinating. And if considering how. Uh, beautiful the culture is and how vibrant the city is today, it's such a contrast to how dank and how extreme it must have been a couple hundred years ago.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of of cool little places to explore in Edinburgh. If you're going down the Royal Mile, don't miss going off the the little closes and winds, as we call them. Um, So that's little alleyways, and you really get a sense for that medieval history when you go down there. Back in medieval times, Edinburgh didn't have a working sewage system. So people would basically throw their waste out the window, so that included human waste. And if they were gonna throw it out, they would shout Garde before they went. Uh Gardelou probably comes from French uh, uh leau which is look out for the water. And if someone was passing by down below they would say, Hod your hand <laughs> Hold your hand means hold your hand. Don't throw it yet. Um so you can imagine that walking down some of those narrow alleyways. Someone shouts garde there's not much room to run. <laughs>
1: yeah, and and to think that it's not like that was like the plumbing was broken for for a week <laughs> and people were doing that. That's like day in and day out, year round, year after year. That that all this all this human waste was just kind of like just tossed out. And so I can it, yeah. I can't even imagine <laughs> exactly yeah. And a lot of it ran so it ran down uh, the ridge of so the royal
2: miles basically built the ridge down to the modern day Holyrood Palace. But the uh, the ridge it would drain off and uh, roll into what was the Norloch. So the Norloch was the North Loch, it's to the north of the old city. And it was the North Loch that basically became a stinking cesspit that they decided, okay, it's time to get rid of this. And that was when they drained the Norloch, made some very nice gardens now, which are very well fertilized. So that's the uh, Prince's Street Gardens. And then that gives access over
1: to the new town of Edinburgh. We'll be right back after this short break. This episode of Andy Steve's Travel is brought to you by our break trips. Whether it's summer, fall, or spring break, have a blast across our favorite cities in Europe. We've got the best of Central Europe covering Berlin, Prague, Krakow, and Budapest. And of course, our Italian extravaganza, Rome, Florence, Cinque Terre, Pisa, and Venice. These cities sell themselves, and we pack them with some epic adventures into a quick 10-day visit. They kick off on Fridays and finish the following Sunday. Plus, take 10 euros off any trip when you book with the promo code ASTPODCAST. Check them out at andysteves.com slash breaktrips. Let's get back to the show. Edinburgh is also a huge hotspot for Harry Potter fans as the birthplace of the boy who lived.
0: Edinburgh is very beautiful, Uh, and I do give some credit to Harry Potter as well. Big fan of the books, and you know, you read them all, and you kind of want to find this place that looks like Hogwarts, and Edinburgh is kind of it, (laughs) so it looks looks very, very magical, but also very creepy.
1: For me, I'm not the biggest Harry Potter reader. I've never read a Harry Potter book. I know uh, Gasp. But my sister read them all, she saw all the movies. But if, if somebody's super excited about Harry Potter and they come to Edinburgh, what are some of the sites that they can visit and see if you're going to list some off?
0: Well, I recommend them to do a tour because many of the stories are related and that's really fun. But also, we have a school where J.K. Rowling sent her daughter that absolutely looked like Hogwarts, and we obviously could in Edinburgh, we claim that that's the real Hogwarts. Uh, we have the grave of Tom Riddle, which I'm not sure you know who he is, but he's Lord Voldemort, so he's the evil man, the evil character, the nemesis of Harry Potter, and he's buried in uh, Greyfriars' graveyard.
1: Because he passed away recently? No.
0: No. It's, uh, it's basically <laughs> the all books of Harry Potter, are yeah. Harry fighting this evil presence mm-hmm. that is of a guy resurrected it's a personification of evil and he's called Voldemort but his real name is Tom Riddle mm-hmm. so every book he fights him until in the end one of them dies I won't tell you who because I don't want to ruin the books uh, for
1: you no of course um, <laughs>
0: That evil man, the name, was taken from a tombstone in Edinburgh, oh. and people die when you tell them, like, they run down there, they get covered in mud, if it's rain, they don't care, they really want to be Lord Voldemort's grave.
2: Oh my goodness. <laughs> the, the grave of Tom Riddle now gets a lot of visitors and even sometimes gets hate, hate mail from people who think he's the real Voldemort. <laughs> Another one is um, a memorial stone to a Scottish poet called William McGonagall, who's uh, sometimes quoted as being the worst poet of history but uh, his name probably inspired or definitely almost definitely inspired uh, Professor McGonagall in Harry Potter. Fans will love uh, just walking around Edinburgh and seeing the places that inspired J.K. Rowling. It's said that she, she wrote the books in various different cafes but one of the main ones was called the Elephant House or still is called the Elephant House. Uh, that's on George the Fourth Bridge. It's right near the National Museum actually um, and this story goes that she would uh, she would go there when she was a single mother on welfare benefits and just spent the day in the cafe so she didn't have to pay her uh, heating and lighting at home um so she would write through in the back room of the elephant house cafe and i'd say that's a must for any fans of harry potter it's known as the birthplace of harry potter uh, a little tip there actually if you do go to the elephant house is uh, order a tea which is called a lap song uh, because that's actually the queen's favorite tea and there's not many places you can get that so good good opportunity it's my favorite tea as well I've got good taste like the queen um so good place uh
1: we just had a Edinburgh tour go through the city and my guide there that I'm working with she sent me the menu for what I thought was just a lunch stop I didn't realize I I didn't see the elephant house title but it was a menu half of it was in Chinese and so (laughs) you know and I was like you know Sabella let's Please let's not take our group to a Chinese restaurant. She's like, no, 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 no. This mm. is Elephant House. This is the like the place that we gotta go. Um, yeah. But uh, they, they do get so many tourists now because it's yeah. so popular, related to Harry Potter. Yeah, now. yeah. Colin Mayers takes us through one of Scotland's best-known specialties, Scottish whiskey. The the regions that they come from really define mm. what the whiskey tastes like, right?
2: Um, to an extent, yeah, yeah. So. Um, In Scotland we've got around about 100 working whisky distilleries and the main regions for uh, Scotch whisky you've got the Lowlands, Highlands, Islay which is one island off to the west coast, Um, Campbelltown which is now only a few working distilleries there but used to be one of the busiest and then a region called Speyside which is basically a sub-region of the highlands. Uh, Speyside they've got about 50 of those 100 distilleries so half of all the distilleries within Speyside
1: does that mean the people who live there are, are quite thirsty or you know <laughs> does that is it just they have the formula and they've realized that okay a lot of people want to buy this how's that work uh, yeah well if you ask someone from Speyside
2: why are there so many distilleries in Speyside they'll tell you it's because we've got great water fantastic source of water and all the right conditions but probably one of the main reasons is that the river Spey which is the water source for most of the distilleries It's one of the fastest-flowing rivers in Scotland, so basically you can make more whisky. So whisky needs a clean water source, and there's plenty of clean water up in Speyside. Um, But in terms of the differences between the region, some of it comes from the water, some people might claim. Uh, Most of the tastes actually coming from the barrels, and the barrels always are not originally from Scotland. They're from mostly either bourbon, ex-bourbon barrels, or sherry from Spain. Um, another key factor in the flavour is if the distillery uses peat or not, so peat is uh, a, couple of thousand youngers, a couple of thousand years younger than coal um, decomposed plants and trees and if the distillery uses peat on their fire when they're drying out their barley then some of that peat smoke will get into the barley and then gives the whiskies a smokier taste.
1: All right. Okay. So do do some also use coal to, to dry out their barley or is that? Um, most.
2: So some, yeah, some might use a, a mixture of some coal and some peat. Um, For example, up in Orkney, I do believe, I might need to check if this is right. Uh, in, or- in Orkney, there's the Highland Park distillery and I believe they've got a coal fire and a peat fire. Um, So they'll use both. Others will also just use hot air, some to dry out. Uh, which means I've had no kind of smoky, PT taste.
1: If I just wanted to go and get a good sampling, a good education in Scotch whiskey, if, it, if that was my thing, um, and I'm visiting Edinburgh, wh- what would you recommend? Is there one place that you'd recommend going over another, or is it a couple?
2: Uh, yeah, there's quite a few good whiskey bars in Edinburgh. Well, one place actually for a little bit of a, it's a, bit of a touristy experience, but it is a good educational experience, and if you're short in time, good place to visit is the Scotch Whiskey Experience. So that's up near Edinburgh Castle. Some people will refer to it as Malt Disney, so it's not really uh, your original, your authentic experience. It's in a, actually an old primary school, which has been converted. Um, but it does give a good overview. You kind of go on a little barrel ride and it kind of takes you through the whiskey making process. Then you'll have a tasting and you get to sort of use these scratch and sniff cards and see what each different region's characteristics are. Um, And then you also end in a fantastic room, which is the biggest collection of bottles of single malt whiskey in the world. Uh, It was a collection of a Brazilian guy that uh, then sold it for an undisclosed sum uh, to Diageo, who are the owners of the Scotch Whiskey Experience.
1: Jeez, that's so odd because for somebody to go through all of that, you know, pain and effort of collecting all those bottles, that's not somebody who, one, needs the money, or two, would ever have any interest in selling it. You know, I I would assume that those types of people would want to would want to consume it one way or another.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of the bottles in the collection they're probably not even really drinkable. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are old bottles. Some you can see they've lost a bit of the the whiskey. And really, when a whiskey gets too old, it's it's no longer good. So whiskey doesn't improve aging in the bottle like wine or some wines can. Um, So basically, once you have a bottle of whiskey on your shelf, you shouldn't keep it closed. You should open it and drink it.
1: There you go. That's uh, words to live by. Um, Because as far as I understand it, the minute that you take the whiskey out of the barrel, that's when it stops evolving and and changing or improving or however you want to call it. It's um, you freeze it in time the minute that you put it in a glass bottle, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, all the magic happens in the barrel. There's also evaporation going
2: on because the barrel's a living, breathing thing, really. Um, so the wood breathes, and it's about 2% per year that escapes from the, bar- the barrel through evaporation. Um, so that's called the angel's
1: share. So you might lose 10 to 15% uh, before it even goes into the barrel, huh? Yeah, exactly. Be- before, yeah, before it goes in the bottle. Yeah. yeah. I always, I'm getting mm-hmm. thirsty just talking about it, but the Scottish <laughs> Whiskey Experience is located just next to the, the castle, right? At the at the top of the Royal Mile there?
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, top of the Royal Mile, just before you enter onto the Castle Esplanade. Mm-hmm. Uh, so going up the Royal Mile, you'll see it on the left-hand
1: side. Now, for, for whiskey aficionados, I would say doing some sort of virtual whiskey tour is fun for a lot of people that, that come to Edinburgh, but what I love to do is just... Post up at a any pub anywhere in town, a, and chat up with the bartender there and say like, "Hey, I'm in from out of town. Uh, if you can't tell already by my accent, uh, take me on a whiskey tour of Scotland." And just about any bartender will will be more than happy to pour you three different flights or shots and kind of talk you through what the flavors to look for. Right? Yeah. So, I okay, agree
0: totally, and and they would love it. Also, they can't wait for you to ask them.
1: Mm-hmm, so. Yeah. So that's you know you can pay eighteen pounds to To have kind of the stand up virtual uh, Hollywood tour, or you can just spend that in a pub and get you know a, a more conversational experience. I'd say. Even after covering Edinburgh's top sites, from whiskey bars to the breathtaking castle, there are still tons of gems for a more off the beaten path experience to be had.
0: My favorite place in town, and it takes me such an effort to convince people to go, but it's called Ding Village. Dean Village, the Dean Village Gardens, D-E-A-N, yeah, yeah. Dean mm-hmm. Village, mm-hmm. Um, and it's found, like in a steep valley, and it's a neighborhood along a river stream. Are you Googling it now?
1: Yeah, I'm checking it. I'm I'm a visual person. So I got to see it.
0: It's gorgeous. It looks nothing like the rest of Edinburgh. It looks like the neighborhood of a fairy tale, like from the Green's Brothers. Actually, few people go there because it's so off track, but I think it's like it should be at the top of everyone's lists of, of walks to do in Edinburgh.
1: Now, if we were to kind of zoom out a little bit, Edinburgh is kind of in the southeast side of Scotland, right? Would you kind of mention one or two day trips that would be worthwhile for somebody who has, say, four or five days to spend in, in Scotland?
0: The obvious options, like where everybody goes, Glasgow and Stirling, they're both really nice day trips uh sterling is a little bit too much like edinburgh maybe like it's so similar it's more of the same it's very pretty and completely worth it uh my favorite day trip is north Berwick, and it's not as touristy not not that many people go there it's a half an hour train ride north Berwick has its own like it has a great hike it has something called north Berwick's law which is an extinct volcano in the middle of the of town it looks like a horn Mm -hmm. um it's a pretty. It has a really cool hike. It has two castles from the 14th century, Tantalong Castle and Derlington Castle, uh, and it has great food, great shopping, and it has this guys, uh, which are my favorite things about penguins. Scotland. In fact, no, they, they're not penguins. They're puffins.
1: Puffins. <laughs> okay. um, Clearly, I need to work on my animals. Um, puffins.
0: So they look like penguins, but they can fly.
1: I gotcha. Yeah, and I, I know Stirling from the castle as well. Like, Stirling has a famous castle there too, right? So, like, North Berwick, Stirling, Glasgow, of course, which is the, would you say it's kind of the blue-collar sister of Edinburgh? Uh,
0: well, yeah, like, Edinburgh and and uh, St. Andrews have a reputation of being a bit more elite and definitely posher mm-hmm. than the rest of Scotland. Like, Scotland is not a bosch place. Like, people are very real, and every city in Scotland has an edge, Probably, with the exception of Edinburgh and and St. Andrews. And it's the birthplace of golf, like, you know, like, my mom is obsessed with golf, and when she came to Scotland, like, the first, like, her entire life, she had been dreaming of coming to, to St. Andrews, because it's the birthplace of golf. So yeah. it's almost like a spiritual place for golfers. Oh, my gosh. Uh, St. Andrews is very small, um, not much going on. Mm-hmm. Definitely the ruins are very pretty. The coast is very pretty. So mm-hmm. it's, it's worth it's worth going around for like for like a half a day, but it won't take you very long. Nice. Yeah.
1: I've also made it to, um, there's a castle just south of town. Oh. Um,
0: Craig Miller
1: Castle. Yeah, Craig Miller Castle. I enjoyed that. I mean, it was even closed yeah. when I showed up. I, I didn't plan very well, but it's a very well-preserved castle.
0: I know Mary Queen of Scots was there for like a night as well. Like, you know, most castles, they introduce themselves as how many nights did Mary Queen of Scots spend in them. So mm. every castle needs to claim at least one. But Craig Miller Castle is extremely well-preserved. They let you get lost and play around a lot. It's so cheap. Um, I went on a sunny day. I was lucky and you can just like wander around and just spend time there. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, food, of course, we can't, we can't wrap up a conversation without. What's some typical food that, that we should look for when we, when we come to uh, Scotland?
0: Well, the national dish of Scotland is called the haggis. Haggis. haggis, and it is all the wrong parts of a sheep, <laughs> together with oats and spices. <laughs> and it really came up as in wealthy people would eat the fleshy parts of the sheep, and then the poor people were like, uh, what do we have? You know, What do we have left sheep?
1: over? and
0: then it moved awful, so they added oats to improve the color and they added spices to improve the taste and then they like like don't know what to do with that mess so they stuffed it into the sheep's stomach and then they boiled it and then they came up with haggis oh and
1: so it's it's guts with oats stuffed into a sheep stomach or stomach lining uh pinched off at either end like a big fat sausage right and then they boil it (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you can eat it on anything. Like they put it on pizza, they put it in burgers, they put it as a spread on sandwiches. Oh anyway, you can have it as breakfast, you can have it as lunch, anything goes. Uh, but traditionally, it is dinner and it is haggis with neeps and tatties and gravy. Neeps and tatties means uh, mashed potatoes and, 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 turnips and turnips and brown salt. <laughs> but. But I, I think the full dish, I mean, I actually like haggis. I, I will defend it. Yeah. I think everybody should try it. <laughs> I, I only, I like it more like as an add-on. Like I will have it on sure. pizza, but I, the whole thing is a bit heavy. But, but I, I like
1: it once in a while. Once in a while.
0: Thanks again for listening. Find all show details, links, and tips at andysteves.com. You can connect with WSA Europe, Andy's tour company, at WSA Europe on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We'll see you next time. Happy travels.